Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing and encouragement and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Thank you guys so much. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm, Psalm 62 this morning. Psalm 62 in the precious Word of God. And uh, while you're turning, I want to update you on something that... Uh, that I shared with you a few weeks ago in my last message. If you were here, watch that message online. I pray that you were blessed and encouraged and even challenged from Isaiah 40 when we discovered uh, God's recipe for how we as believers uh, can with God's strength. We can mount up with wings as eagles. We can run and not be weary. And ultimately, we can walk and not faint. You may recall that during that message I shared a number of facts about the brilliance and majesty of eagles. Truly an amazing creature. But since that message I've learned that the last tidbit of information regarding the eagles, uh, uh, regarding the breaking of eagles' beak was inaccurate, uh, regardless of the three sources that told me so. And so I want to correct the record. Uh, I've since discovered that the process that an eagle actually goes through is not called breaking the beak, it's called feking, F-E-A-K-I-N-G. And feking is what eagles do to actually maintain their razor-sharp beak, much in the similar way that I discussed and shared with you. It is a process in which, through this feking process, that eagles will sweep their beak back and forth uh, across um, rocks, tree limbs, or whatever they can get a hold of. And the, the reality is they're trying to remove debris or or materials from the beak so that new keratin, much like your fingernails, uh, can develop on their beak to continue to keep that beak strong. Break, breaking, as it were, an eagle's beak, not feeking, but breaking, would be detrimental to their survival. Although I will say this, depending on the severity of the break, an eagle can survive. On my extensive research now, I was forced to go back and look at it. They can survive, uh, but to set the illustration rate uh, straight, the process is called feeking, not breaking. And so you may be wondering, what's the big deal about sharing the information? I want to be accurate in everything I say from this pulpit, amen? And so uh, I hope that the message, I hope that in the process of feeking and breaking, you didn't miss the message. Because the message wasn't about the eagle. The message was about our great God, amen, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in and through us, amen. Oh, man, I love Jesus. I hope you do. I hope you do. So with the record straight, let's move on to today's message, amen. Psalm 62, let's do this. Let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that in the hours in which we need you, that you are there. Lord, we are looking forward to that day when we will see you face to face and we celebrate the amazing grace by which we are saved. 
Lord, I'm thankful for those that have gathered in your house today. I'm thankful for the word of God, knowing that it is true and that it will stand, it will abide forever and ever. Lord, I pray that today the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight because, God, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. In times when I feel like I cannot go on, you continue to lift me up and give me those wings as eagles. You allow me to run and not be weary. You allow me to keep on walking and not fainting in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Lord, I pray that you'll be honored. I pray that you'll be glorified today as we consider what you have for us from your holy word. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody who has strayed from thee or somebody, Lord, who needs to understand and come to faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, that you will do those things. Lord, that you'll have your will in your way today. And as your word goes out, it will accomplish as you have promised exactly what you desire. Lord, I love you and I thank you for the songs that we have sung. I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here today. And Lord, I look forward to what you will do with great expectation. And we praise you in advance for all these things and much, much more. For it's in the precious and powerful name of your son Jesus that we do pray. And for his sake, amen and amen. Well, Psalm 62, if you're not there yet, I'd ask you to turn there as we get started. I think it's important to remember... A few weeks ago, I was talking about this idea, have you ever felt like giving up? And I think the reality is that all of us have felt like giving up at some point, at some point in our life, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually, or on and on. Last Saturday, I can tell you when the rubber band snapped in my calf, I felt like giving up, even though we were down one set, six to zero in that set. We were... We were hopeful. We were starting the second set. And I thought, well, they only beat us six games to none. Maybe we could at least win one game this set. It was not to be. The reality, though, is I think it's important for you and I to remember that we are all susceptible to influencers in our life. There are influences without that seek to devour believers within. By the way, there's also influences sometimes from within that seek to devour those who are within. And so we have to be careful of influence. We have to protect ourselves from negative people, negative talk, and negative influencers in our lives like a boat or a ship at sea. If we are not anchored biblically, we will be moved. We will be moved if we are not anchored biblically. As we discussed a few weeks ago, we all go through seasons of chaos and turmoil in our lives. It's no exception to the rule that you may find yourself right now, sir, ma'am, young person, you may find yourself in a season of chaos, a season of turmoil. You might find yourself facing some storms that you have never faced in your life. You may be trying to traverse the rough waters of what's going on in your life. In fact, it's been said that inside of every large problem is a series of small problems struggling to get out. Isn't it true? It seems like we deal with one problem and the next thing we do, we turn around and there's another problem waiting to come out. So I just wonder when hardships come, when we feel unsure of what to do or the world comes crashing in, we have to ask ourselves, what can we do? Where do we go? Who can we turn to in those seasons? And I believe that David gives us a great answer 
in our text today. I believe the best option is always to see what God has to say. Amen? And so in Psalm 62, let's turn our attention there. It was Erwin Lutzer, former pastor of the Moody Bible Church and author, who once said this. He said, God often puts us in situations that seem to be too much for us so that we will learn that no situation so that we will learn that no situation is too much for him. Amen? I believe that's the case in which we find our text in Psalm 62. David found himself in a, a stormy season, if you will. He found himself dealing with something that he could have only never really imagined what would take place, although we know from Scripture that the Bible says the sword would never depart from his house. But it's believed that Psalm 62, the background of this psalm, it's believed that this was written during a very anguishing time in David's life surrounding the rebellion of his son Absalom. And for those who don't know the story, I would encourage you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 18 and read. It's, a, it's an emotional account of son uh, betraying really in a public setting for all of Jerusalem to see his, his, his hostile takeover, if you please, of his father's throne and his desire to really have his father killed. I can only imagine how hurtful that must have been. The flaunting of his son's rebellion in front of people's faces. And the outside noise of people shattering, what's he going to do now? Must have filled his heart and his mind. But what I want us to notice is what David says here during the supposed period of time in his life in Psalm 62. Look with me, beginning in verse number 1. And here's what David says. He says, truly. That word truly means only. Now I want you to hold on to this, the idea that it means only. The Hebrew word means only. And so here's what David says. He says, only my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. Look at verse 2. He, same word, only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you imagine mischief against man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall be, as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Isn't that what the Pharisees were doing during Jesus' time? They drew close to him with their mouth, but Jesus says, your heart is far from me. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so this is the same thing that was going on in Jesus' time. And this is what David says here in Psalm 62. Look at verse number 5. He says, my soul, he says, my soul, wait thou only. There's the word again. Upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He, there it is again, only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, trust in Him. At what times? Oh. Say it again, what times? Oh. So when are we going to trust God? Oh. All the time, Amen. This is what David says. He says, trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Amen? 
And I think it's important to notice here in this text that what David was saying when he says, I shall not be moved, he's not boasting or bragging in himself. He's boasting in God. He's saying, listen, I'm connected, I'm anchored to a God. There's no need to move. There's no need to fear. God is going to see me through this time. Absalom or no Absalom, God is in control. And it's a great encouragement to us. In other words, David was saying, listen guys, I'm anchored. I'm not going to move. Absalom, you can send your messengers after me. You can do whatever you want to try and destroy me. You can take over this earthly throne. But I'm moving on and I shall not be moved. Can I tell you? We need to be just like that. We ought to ultimately, individually, and corporately declare, I will not be moved when the world, the flesh, and the devil come hunting for you. And they will. By the way, they'll do it as soon as you walk out of this building. And they might do it during the time of invitation. You know, there's a big difference in being anchored in our own wisdom and strength and being anchored in the strength of Almighty God. And this is what David was saying. I think about Peter. If you look in the New Testament, you remember Peter. He was that disciple who loved to always speak first. Now, we, we give him a hard time, but at least he stood up and he spoke. Peter's also the only disciple who got out of the boat, wasn't he? And so before we throw him under the proverbial bus, let's, let's think about this. But I think throughout the Gospels, in every Gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find Peter essentially telling Jesus, I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be moved. Don't worry about me. You remember even when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, 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 it's never going to happen. I shall not be moved. And yet we know the rest of the story. He ends up at that time being put to shame. What was the problem? What was the difference? You see, I believe, as Ernie and I often talk back and forth with one another, I believe that Peter, he had a focus problem. He had an anchor issue, if you please. I believe that he knew Jesus was the Christ. He had already declared that. I believe that he knew that. But I believe in the moment, in the, in the face of the storm that was coming his way, I believe that he lost his focus. I believe that he had an issue with his anchor, if you please. And if we're not walking with and we're not trusting the Lord, we too can become prey to the things that come our way. On the flip side, when we look back at Psalm 62 and other passages, David, who is known in Scripture in the Old Testament and New as a man after God's own heart, he had dropped anchor, so to speak, in the goodness and the power and the mercy of God. In fact, hold your spot in Psalm 62. Flip back with me. I want you to see one verse, Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Hold your spot and just flip back with me. It'll do you good. Psalm 16. On page 384. <laughs> okay. Psalm 16. Look at verse number 8. Because earlier, here's what David declares in verse number 8. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Why? Because he is at my right hand. And what does he say? I shall not be moved. In this verse, quite honestly, look at that verse again. In verse number 8 here in Psalm 16, David's saying, I always let the Lord guide me. And because he's my witness, because he's my judge, because he's my protector, and you could go on and on, he says, I'm not going to be moved. 
He says, it doesn't matter. Even though the archers may shoot to kill me, even though men and devils seek my destruction, I am assured that God will not only guide me, but that God will deliver me out of all my distresses. Can I tell you today that if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you are anchored only in Jesus because he will not only guide you with his Holy Spirit, but he will deliver you, he will deliver me out of every distress that we ever face. Amen? Oh, have you set the Lord before you? That's what David was saying. He said, he said I, I have set the Lord always before me. All the time. There's not a time that I don't allow the Lord to lead, to guide, and to deliver. Have you set the Lord before you this morning? Are you coming in weary? Has it been a rough week? Has your week been filled with chaos and turmoil? Have you been dealing with things that you could only imagine written in a movie script or in a book? Can I tell you? I pray that you'll set the Lord before you. Set the Lord always before you. Is Jesus by your side? Have you anchored yourself to him? If not, I pray that you will do that today because I've got a news flash for all of us. The world is on the attack. The devil is on the attack. And the flesh is weak. Let me say it again. The world is on the attack. The devil is on the attack. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. And the flesh is weak. Oh, we have to be walking. We have to be trusting. We have to be like David of old who said, I have always set the Lord before me. He is my God. He's going to deliver me out of all my distresses. It doesn't matter what this world will do to me. It doesn't matter if they try to overthrow me or kill me. It doesn't matter because God will see me through. By the way... You know, I'm, I'm a pretty lovable guy. In fact, you know, Virginia's for lovers. I say this all the time. Virginia's for lovers, Maryland's for crabs, and don't get me started about West Virginia. <laughs> Listen, did you know that I, much to my surprise, just within the past few years, have learned that I am a hater. Did you know the world has classified me as a hater now? Do you know if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you have been classified as a hater? You're, you are a hater. You are spewing hate when you share the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. The world is trying to convince us that we have become haters. I thought I was a lover, and now I found out that the world has branded me as a hater. They not only attack our faith, they attack our God, they attack His Word, they attack His church, they attack our rights, they attack the sanctity of life, they attack marriage, they attack this, that, and the other, and we can keep on going and going and going. And guess what? If you say anything against it, you're branded as a hater. But just as David said during the storms and stresses of his life, our response should be a resounding, I shall not be moved. But this is only going to be the case if we are anchored into the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. If you're anchored in anything else today, I can tell you that when the world comes calling, when the devil comes attacking, and when the flesh feels weak, you'll not only give in, but you'll crumble. Just like Peter when he denied Christ. Oh, he knew who Christ was. 
He believed in Jesus Christ. But he had an anchor issue. One that David did not seem to have during his life. By the way, let's get this off the table. Was David a perfect man? Are there any perfect men in this room or watching online? If you're perfect and you're watching online, just type it in. Give me your email address so I can get the secret. David was not perfect. Was David sinless? Absolutely not. But the hallmark of David's character, why David was known as a man after God's own heart, the hallmark of his character was his trust and his reliance upon the Lord. And so you say, what's all this fuss about? Why are you all revved up? Well, because I haven't preached in a couple weeks. <laughs> We're going to face some things in this life. But I believe, just like David, that you and I can face whatever comes our way. If, if you're a note taker, take it down. If you and I, we can face whatever comes our way if we are anchored in the one who never fails. Now think about it. The one who never fails. Somebody tell me a time when God Almighty has failed. Crickets. By the way, that's the same answer the world who attacks us will give. Look at verse number 1. In verse number 1 of Psalm 62, notice again, David says, Truly only my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. Drop down to verse number 5. He says something very similar. He says, My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. You see, he was trusting in the one who he knew would never fail. I think about uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. Last time I preached, we were reminded that as we wait on the Lord, and that word wait means to trust, to rely, or to expect, to have our expectancy in what God can do. The Bible says that when we do that, when we trust, when we rely, when we expect God to work, then he's the one that allows us to mount up with wings as eagles. He's the one that allows us to run and not be weary. He's the one that allows us to walk and not faint when we feel like fainting. In these two verses, I digress. Go back to verse number 1 and verse 5 of our text. In these two verses, you see the word waiteth and the word wait. You have the King James word waiteth and the, the uh, use of the word wait that you see all the time now using the same exact Hebrew word, root word. They're both associated and they speak of our need. Watch this. They speak of our need to be dumb. By the way, what are we referred to in the New Testament? We are sheep. Our Lord and Savior is our shepherd. Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's all connected, folks. Old Testament, New Testament. It's all God's word. Now notice here, it says these words are associated, the same root word, and they speak of our need to be dumb, to forbear, to hold our peace. You know, sometimes it's better just to zip it. Sometimes it's better to put your thumbs away and not text it. Or put it on Facebook, or Insta, or Snap, or Twitter, or I don't even know all the others. Sometimes we would do ourselves a favor if we did this. Hold our peace, but watch the last two. Quiet ourselves 
and rest. Throughout the entire ordeal with Absalom's rebellion and his attack on his life, David never wavers in his complete dependence on God and was therefore he's able to wait, he's able to rest in his relationship with God. He was convinced that God was more than sufficient to see him through whatever he was facing. And can I tell you, he is, that's still true today. You can be confident. You can be sure that God, if He is your, if you're anchored in Jesus Christ, He's going to see you through. Amen? Amen? I shared a few weeks ago from Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. By the way, before I even get there, 1 Peter 5, 7. Think about it. It says, cast all your care on Him for He cares for you. Who cares? Jesus cares for us. Oh, listen, there comes a point when we need to quiet ourselves and rest in the relationship that we have with Almighty God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 and following, He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? He says, He goes on, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find what? Unto your souls. When we come to Jesus, He erases the guilt. He erases the power of sin from our lives through our justification and our sanctification. Psalm 37 and verse 7, the Bible tells us to rest in the Lord. By the way, the word rest is the same Hebrew root word as we find in verse 1 and 5 of our main text. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently in Him. In other words, wait, rely, trust, bear up under whatever you're facing because God will see you through. Look back in verse 5 of our text. David says, my soul, wait thou only upon God. Now watch this last phrase. He says, my expectation is from him. The word expectation literally refers to an attached cord. Like an anchor. You could use a chain, a cord, whatever. He says, listen, I'm attached. I'm attached and there's nothing that's going to move me. Because I am safe, I am secure in what God is able to do again. Again, this is a reference to the fact that he had anchored himself to Almighty God. Someone has said that in order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. So let me ask, what is it? Who is it that we are anchored to today? Because I look around it seems that I see a lot of people walking as if we have been defeated. Can I tell you, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. We are moving on. We shall not be moved. The gospel cannot and must not be changed. It is the power of salvation unto those who believe. Whether you be Jew or Greek, it makes no difference. This wasn't David's first rodeo, by the way. <laughs> you think, man, David went through, went through some trials. This wasn't his first rodeo. He understood the stress that storms can bring, but he also had a deep appreciation for God's profound and rock-solid presence in his life. I was thinking about, is there anybody else who I could compare to uh, from Scripture other than Jesus. Is there anybody I could compare to this, this idea of being rock solid, the idea of being anchored? And I thought if there's anybody who knew what it meant to be anchored, it was the Apostle Paul. Murderer to missionary. By the way, 
That's why we got to be quick. We got we to be slow not to condemn, but quick to give God the glory when we see what he does with lives. So quick to condemn are we. I think Paul understood the storms and rough patches of life. He understood what they were all about. In fact, he wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, Hey, brothers and sisters, since you're anchored in Jesus Christ, don't be moved with the doctrines of anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't allow these false teachers to come in and move you from the doctrine that has saved your sorry soul and got you headed for heaven even though you can't help it. Did I just say sorry soul? Yes, I did. Sound like an old-fashioned preacher there. It was Thomas Aquinas who said these words. He said, give me, O Lord, a steadfast heart. Give me an unconquered heart. Give me an upright heart. So I shall not be moved. Oh, how we need to be steadfast. We need to be unconquered. We need to be upright and not be moved. I think about David and it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Over, Man, I have a lot of favorites. I, I, I shouldn't say that all the time, but it is because I'm going to say it about another passage here in a minute. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Acts chapter 20. David is saying farewell to the leaders from Ephesus. And uh, notice what he says in verse 22. Of Acts 20, verses 22 and following. He says these words, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. In other words, I'm not moved. I'm not concerned about what I might have to face. I'm not concerned about the bonds or the chains or the afflictions that I might have to go through. He says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, Paul was saying, I shall not be moved. Writing to the church at Philippi, he said something very similar. In Philippians chapter 1, he wrote in verse 20 and 21, according to my earnest, now watch the word, expectation. According to my earnest expectation, my anticipation in other words, and my hope. And when he speaks of hope, he's speaking of a confidence that he has. In other words, in, 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 uh, according to my anticipation, my, my looking forward to what is going to take place, he says, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness. Now watch these words right after it. As what? Always. This is how Paul operated. Nothing new. He said, as always, I'm going to be bold. I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be pulled aside because I have an earnest expectation. And I have a hope that is not of this world, but it is of a different world. And he said, listen, he says, I'm not going to be moved. He says, with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ 
shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, it's easy to see what kept the Apostle Paul going. <laughs> Much like David, the Apostle Paul lived with an expectancy. He had an expectation of final victory, and I pray that you do too. Are you looking forward to that final victory? Somebody say amen. amen. Oh, please wake up today. Oh, we can face whatever comes our way when we are anchored to the one who never fails. But we can also face whatever comes our way when we are anchored to the one who performs miracles. Who likes miracle workers? There's only one. His name is Jesus. <laughs> His name is Jesus. Look at verse number 5 of our text and following David says, my soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Here we go, verse 6. He only is my rock, my salvation. By the way, in my Bible, wherever he's talking about what God is for him, I have it highlighted or underlined. He, he says, is my rock, my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In verse 7, in God is my salvation and my glory. He says, he's the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. You see, David understood and had faith that if a miracle was going to take place in his life, that the only way it was going to happen was if God did it. And that's exactly what you and I have to understand. The only one who performs miracles is God of very God. And some fair-weathered folks believe that God has ceased from doing miracles. I got news. He is still working out miracles day in and day out. By the way, do me a favor. Put your hand in front of your mouth. Everybody. Let's see. Oh, participation class. Well, some of you aren't. I'm going to mark you off. I see you over there. Right? Go like this. As a miracle. Guess what? You didn't get it to yourself. God gave you the very breath of life. By the way, the world can't take it away from us. God's the giver and the taker. You may recall that story. Tell him I said hello. <laughs> uh, I had a professor in Bible college. Phone rang one time. Please answer it and tell him hello. Um, I had a professor in Bible college. One of the younger students, I was the old student, you know, when I went to Bible college after retiring from the military. I had this professor, he's pastoring up in New Jersey now, and a uh, uh, kid's phone w went off in class. We were in, uh, it was actually pneumatology, uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we were in pneumatology class, and he says, if I hear that phone one more time, I'm going to throw it out on Kearney, which was the street out in front of the college. And uh, the, the, the student was fumbling around, and the phone rang again. And he says, I'm giving you one more warning. <laughs> and he finally got it turned off. And uh, he, said, he says, by the way, if I ever take your phone and throw it out in the street, he said, you can collect it after class if a car hadn't run over it. <laughs> Back to the regularly scheduled program. We can face whatever comes our way if we're anchored in the one who performs miracles. Thinking about this, I was thinking about that story in Matthew chapter 17 the other day. You remember um, 
Uh, Jesus is not on the scene. A man comes bringing his demon-possessed uh, son to the disciples. He wants the disciples to heal his son. You remember the story, right? And Jesus is taking uh, Peter, James, and John. He's taking them up on the mount. He's been transfigured in front of him. Uh, Peter, again, has spoken out what they should do. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. They come back down. And if you remember the situation in Matthew chapter 17, the man comes. When he finally sees Jesus back in there, he comes to Jesus and he pleads for mercy. In Matthew chapter 17, he's pleading for mercy on behalf of his son because the disciples were unable to heal his boy. And you may have read that story. If not, I encourage you to read it. And uh, after he comes to Jesus, the disciples, they pull Jesus aside and they say, Lord, why couldn't we heal him? What's the problem? We've done everything you've said. What's the problem? And here was Jesus' answer in Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 20. He says, here's what his answer is. He says, because of your unbelief. Hold on to that thought for a second. Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now we know the rest of the story. Jesus says, although it be that this kind of demon could not have been removed without fasting and prayer, speaking to the importance of fasting and prayer, but the focus point that I want you to see is that because of their unbelief, Jesus said you could not remove that demon. From the boy. Can I tell you, we cannot be anchored. We cannot be anchored today, tomorrow, the next day without faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. What David did was David offered his complete trust and his complete faith in God and God alone. Look at verse 6 again. He says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. There was no need for David to be moved or do like what we do a lot of times, take matters into his own hand. You ever done that? You're like, God, I got this. The moment you utter the word, God, I got this, you're in trouble. The moment you think you've got it figured out, you're in trouble. Young person, old person, in-between person, it makes no difference where you're at in your season of life. The moment that you think that you can handle whatever you're facing is the moment that you will cease to experience the miracle working power of God in your life. Because God wants to see us exercise faith. David was anchored to the God of miracles who was his rock, his salvation, his defense or fortress. The Lord was his sole deliverer. I like what Martin Luther put in his 1529 hymn. He starts out by saying, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Now, for those who are not up on your thesaurus and other things, the word bulwark means fortification. Can I tell you, no matter what you or I have to deal with today, no matter what comes our way tomorrow, God is a mighty fortress a bulwark, a fortification that never fails. I can trust in the one, I can anchor myself in the one who performs miracles because there is only one who performs miracles. Finally, we can face whatever comes our way if we are anchored to the one who holds our future. 
I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that future. That day when I shall see him. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. And I look him in the face. The one who saved me by his grace. Can you imagine that God, a very God, would take us by the hand and lead us through the promised land? And say, guess what? You remember I told you in my father's house are many mansions? Welcome to your heavenly home. Oh, what a day that will be. By the way, don't get so carried away on your mansion in the fixtures of your mansion because I doubt you're going to spend much time in the mansion. You're going to spend more time on your knees singing praises to God. You say, is that what heaven's all about? Oh, my goodness, there's so much more than just singing. Oh, what a day that's going to be. Look at verse number 8. David said, trust in him at all times. This is a great verse. He says, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He is a fortress. He's a refuge for us. David knew that whether or not Absalom succeeded in a hostile takeover, or even if he succeeded in killing him physically, that God was his salvation, his refuge, and that this wasn't all there was to life. Although this earthly throne were under attack, David was able to quiet himself. He was able to rest because his trust was in God's ability to see him through, not his own. Look at that phrase in verse number 8. The phrase that says, pour out your heart before him. Interestingly enough, this phrase signifies, watch this, the complete pouring out of a liquid until there's nothing left in the container. When I was in Springfield, Missouri at Bible College... The Lord allowed me to serve as the college pastor at Parkcrest Baptist Church. And uh, the Lord blessed during the time that we were there. And we saw the Lord do some great things with college students. And at that time, they really had no identification other than the college ministry. And so, you know, kind of the cool thing to do is, what are you going to call the ministry? And so we called ourselves Poured Out. Look at it again. In verse number 8, David says, Pour out your heart before him. Signifying a complete pouring out. Complete. Everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we will be. To the one in whom our trust is placed. Are you poured out? Are you poured out? Because in the context of trust, it's a huge point. See, if you're totally poured out, it it, it identifies this idea of holding nothing back. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to pour out everything I am, everything that I can be, everything that I will be. I'm pouring it out for Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to let you use me. I'm going to let you do in my life what and whatever you want. The object of our trust is really important. I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, they decided one day to send me and a couple of my buddies out to do this spy rigging mission. We got that picture? There I am. The handsome guy on the right, if you can't figure it out. The far right. (laughs) And uh, you see the helicopter in the background and you see the the tow rope and the D-rings on the rope of the guy to my buddy's left. By the way, the gentleman on the left with the thumbs up, he pastors a church down in eastern North Carolina. He and I, they called us preacher boys because we would sing gospel songs on Thursday night when we would have what they call field day. We were cleaning the barracks and whatnot. At any rate, good captain decided that I needed to learn about 
uh, spy rigging, this idea of insertion and extraction. And uh, so he sent me and a few of our guys. He said, you're going to be the, the group leader. He said, I'm going to send you out here and you're going to do some spy rigging with 2nd Recon Battalion. And I just looked at him. I said, sir? And he said, have fun. <laughs> sir, could you give me a little background on this SPIE, S-P-I-E, rigging? He said, insertion and extraction exercises. You're going to have a great time, man. It's going to be awesome. Go on out there. Have a good time. I said, aye, sir. That was the correct response. Aye, sir. Walk out. The rope that you see in those D-rings they literally are fed through the bottom of the helicopter and one by one we are dangling on that rope every so often. No parachute, nothing but us. And you see we've tied some little measly ropes with D-rings on our shoulder, across our chest and we have seats that we tie and we hook ourselves to this rope. Pilot takes off. Wind flapping me in the face. I'm like, could we have gotten some goggles? Take us out over Onslow Beach. Take us, insert us into uh, what is a, a uh, fictitious battle zone. And then extract us and bring us back. And can I tell you, trust is the key. When I saw the helicopter and I saw the rope... I wasn't excited, but the captain said go, and so I went. Can I tell you, you have to trust the helicopter, you have to trust the pilot, you have to trust the crew in the helicopter, you have to trust the rope, you have to trust that little rope that I had tied around my chest, you have to trust the D-rings that are on that thing, and you have to trust that nothing happens from the time they take you up to the time they bring you down to the time they take you up and the time they bring you down. That's a lot of fun spy rigging. That's a whole lot of trust. I have to completely trust in the process and in the plan or it's not going to be successful. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? Some of you may have been skydiving. By the way, let me encourage you. There are only a couple of reasons to go skydiving and fun is not one of them. <laughs> Sidebar. Sidebar. Oh, I just thought it'd be fun. Sir, ma'am, please, I offer counseling. You can come at any time. <laughs> but I can tell you, much like spy rigging, if you're going to go skydiving, you cannot be 50% sure that your parachute will open. That requires 100% confidence, 100% trust, 100% faith in your equipment, i.e., the object of your trust. Now let's digress and go back to being anchored in the one who holds our future. In Psalm 37 and verse 5, the psalmist says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Friends, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I encourage you to trust the one who holds our future. For those who are saved, for those who have called on the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin, you are safe. Psalm 125, I love it. 
They that trust in the Lord, verse 1, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not on thy own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will lead, he will guide, he will direct your paths. Just as David was saying. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. And one of my favorites is Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number 3 and verse number 4. The Bible says that will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusts in thee. Sir, ma'am, are you facing something? Keep your mind stayed on God. He will keep your mind in perfect peace when you trust in Him. Verse number 4 goes on and says, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Oh yes. This is what David was alluding to in verse number 8 when he said, Trust in Him at all times. And he finished by saying that God is a refuge for us. And today, God, through David, is urging us through his word. He's urging us. If you're in Jesus Christ, he's urging you to exercise a little bit of calm trust in what he can do. By the way, when you trust God, there is no need for plan B. I don't have another plan. Jesus is it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. Oh, listen, he's either a refuge for us or he's not. Think about that. He's either your refuge or he's not. When troubles come, when pains come, when storms come, when things enter into your life and you're dealing with the woes and the worries and the confusion and the chaos and the turmoil of life, either Jesus is your refuge or he is not. I don't know about you, but I'm anchored in Jesus. He's the rock of my salvation. I'm not going to be moved. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. My soul waits on Him. My expectation is from Him. He's the rock of my strength and He is my refuge. Therefore, guess what? I am not going to be moved. I was thinking about uh, Fanny Crosby. I, I, when, I, when I prepare messages, I think about songs a lot of times. I don't know why that is, but I think of songs. And I think about Fanny Crosby's great song, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. You remember that song? She says, talks about being safe in the arms of Jesus. Here's a, here's a few of the words from that song. She says, safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast. There by his love o'ershadowed, sweetly my soul shall rest. Jesus, my heart's dear refuge. Jesus has died for me, firm on the rock of ages. Ever my trust shall be. Here, let me wait with patience. Wait till night is o'er. Wait till I see the morning break on that golden shore. You know, I don't know what may, what my future holds throughout the rest of this life. I don't know how many more tendons I may pull or tear or rupture. I don't know physically what ailments I might have to face. I don't know what struggles in ministry I might have to deal with. I don't know what losses I may have to endure, family-wise or other. 
But I do know this. I do know that I am anchored in the one who holds not only my todays, but all of my tomorrows. Wasn't it Jesus who said in Revelation chapter 1, in verse number 18, he said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. For how long? Forevermore. And he said, I have the keys. I'm the one. I have the keys of hell and death. Oh, for those who are safe in the arms of Jesus Christ, there's no need to be moved. As David proclaimed in verse number 6, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. My question as I close is what about you? Are you anchored? You say, yeah, I know know Jesus is Lord. Are you anchored, really? Are you anchored today in Jesus Christ? Is He not only some kind of special Savior, but is He Lord of your life? See, there's a big difference between, oh, I love Jesus, He was a Savior. Oh, I love to talk about Jesus as my Savior. What about Jesus as Lord? You see, because the one who leads and guides is Lord, not just a Savior. David understood that. Is He not only the Lord of your life? Are you anchored in Jesus today? Are you ready to go out and face the rest of today and tomorrow and the rest of the week? Are you going through this life? Hope so, maybe so. Get me through to another day so. Can I tell you? There's no safer place than in the arms of Jesus to be anchored, to be anchored in a mighty fortress, a mighty fortress, a bulwark, a fortification, never failing. You see, I don't worry because my God never fails. I don't worry because my God is a God who performs miracles every day. And I don't worry because my God is the only God that holds my future. And if you know Jesus, that's the same God that you serve. The God who never fails, the God who performs miracles, the God who holds your futures. So can I pray with you? Let's just all pray together. And this is a sweet time of invitation, man. Lunch is going to be ready when you get out of here. Don't be focused on lunch right now. Focus on Jesus, please. This is a beautiful time of invitation. Maybe you've never considered it. Like, Why do we have times of invitation? It's a, it's a time of responding to what we have heard. What we have, what we have heard from God in His Word. You're here today and you say, Pastor, Jesus is my Savior. I'm anchored. I'm anchored. If that's your testimony, would you look at me? Would you say, I'm anchored? Would you say, I'm anchored, Pastor? Would you say, help me, help me to live like David lived? Are you anchored in Jesus? Maybe you're here and you couldn't look up. Maybe you couldn't look up. You say, Pastor, I've heard a lot about Jesus. I know a lot about Jesus. I know a lot about God. But I can't honestly say that I'm anchored. In the Lord God. I can't say it. If you're honest, as a testimony of your honesty, I'm not going to ask you to get up or say anything. As a testimony of your honesty, would you just look at me and say, I can't say that I'm anchored. I can't say it 
I hear what you're saying, but I can't honestly say that I'm anchored today. Just catch my eyes. I see you back there, bro. Somebody else, catch my eyes. See, I can't honestly say that I'm anchored in Jesus. Anybody? I see you, bro. I see you. God bless you. Somebody, somebody else say, I can't honestly say it. Can I encourage you guys that looked at me? Jesus loves you. The Bible says in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He died for me. He took a debt. He took a, a, a penalty that he didn't know, and he paid the price so that you and I wouldn't have to pay that price. And all that is required is to exercise a little bit of faith. If God has opened up the eyes of your understanding today and you understand that Jesus is Lord and Savior and He is the only way, the truth and the life, to get to heaven, the only thing that's really required is to call upon the name of the Lord. And, and it's not about really the words. It's not about the words. It's about the desire of your heart, the understanding from Scripture, the enlightenment from Scripture that says, God, I recognize. Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner. No one had to tell me that. At this time, in recognition of that, I'm going to turn from the way that I've been doing things and I'm asking you to save me and allow me to turn and to give me strength to move forward and to live in a way that brings you honor and a way that brings you glory. And if that's your prayer, and if that's your heart's desire, He will hear your prayer and answer. That's based on the authority of God's word, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So with no one looking around, would you simply, would it be today, would the day of salvation be today that you would call on the name of the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I understand. I understand that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, Lord. I'm asking you to become not only my Savior, but the Lord of my life, to lead God and direct me, to see me through whatever I may be facing today, tomorrow, or in the days ahead. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for doing this. In Jesus' name. Can I tell you, if that's your prayer today, you and you over here, if that was your prayer today, God has heard your prayer. He answers those who exercise faith and call on Him for the forgiveness of sin. Maybe there's someone else who's dealing with something. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm struggling right now. Jesus is my anchor. But man, it's been slipping and I need to... I needed to be reminded that He never fails and that He performs miracles and that He holds my future. Would you pray for me today? If that's you, would you just look at me and say, Pastor, pray for me. I see you. God bless you. Raise your hand if I don't see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you over here. God bless you, bro. I know you got a lot on your plate, man. I'm praying for you. You're in a hard business. I'm thankful for what you do for us in our country. Someone else say, Pastor, pray for me. I see you back there. God bless you. Pray for me. I want to be anchored, and sometimes I seem to falter. Father, you've seen the hearts and you've seen the hands and the responses of your people. God, I pray that you would work now in this time of invitation, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the reminder from your word that when we're anchored in you, there's no need to fear. There's no need to be worried that you will see us through. Lord, I pray that now as we open up the altar, the people will do business as the Holy Spirit leads and guides in their lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had. And we praise you.
In the precious and powerful name of Jesus and for his sake, amen and amen.